Thank you all for being here. Get you are dismissed up to Grace Place. Uh, if you're a guest with us, thank you for taking the worship with us this morning. Thanks for coming here to see you. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to up to Mark chapter 8. Mark 8, we're going to be in the Mark 7 on the Bible with you, which you want to see back around you. Uh, you know, the Bible, keep that. If you know someone who doesn't know the Bible, take that and give it to them. Uh, we'll give you Bibles away. If you are using the seatback Bible, we're looking for page 844, 845, somewhere in that range should be. Um, so while you turn there, I'd like to thank uh, Amy and Denise and Jess for uh, the, uh, the other night, Friday night, and our first women's event of the year. Um, it was fantastic from what I've been told. I don't know how we go, um, but it was uh, a lot of fun, um, and it was uh, saw a lot of great pictures, a lot of great uh, posters were made, and uh, awesome teaching from Amy on the book pastor. So uh, ladies, if you uh, want to be in the next one, you should be in the next one. Uh, pay attention, we'll get the date out. The next one coming up here soon. Uh, but thank you very much, uh, especially to Amy and Jess and Denise for putting that together for us and making that happen. It was a really good night um, and a lot of good community was built. So uh, thank you very much. Uh, this morning, uh, as I said, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8, continuing in our series in the book of Mark. Um, and uh, as we get into it, as I was getting ready for uh, this week's sermon, the idea uh, that kept coming up to me as I was reading over to this week's passage. Uh, was when you see a commercial, when you see an advertisement for something, um, whether it be uh, just something where they're pushing, you know, hey, you can save a lot of money, you can get a great deal, you can have this beautiful, luxurious item for affordable cost, uh, and then always somewhere in that commercial, terms and conditions may apply. Uh, which basically means we get to dictate how you get to get this, or even if you do. Um, we've all also seen terms and conditions when we're updating our, updating our computers, especially our iTunes, right? Um, and over and over again, we are bombarded with, do you agree to these terms and conditions? And nobody reads them. We all just click that. We don't want to spend the minutes it would take to go through the 75 pages of terms and conditions. So we just blindly agree to them. Um, and they change. They update, right? How often does iTunes say, hey, you have to agree to our new terms and conditions? They change. They update. No one ever reads them. No one's paying who knows what we are actually agreeing to in those things, but we blindly click it. In today's passage, Jesus lays out for us the terms and conditions for what it means to be his follower. But unlike the terms and conditions that we experience on a regular basis, his do not change, they are not hidden, there is no need to update them. They are straightforward and clear. He lets us know what it means to be a follower, what it's going to take, and what that actually looks like, and that it has not changed. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump into Mark chapter 8. So please, by heads and pray with me. God, we thank you for another opportunity to gather, to celebrate you, to worship you, to open your word and hear from you. God, I pray that as we study, as we um, study the words of Jesus, as we look at his life and um, we look at passages like this one, where um, Jesus is clearly teaching not just the disciples, not just the crowd, not him, but us, but well, um, or remind us that the Bible is living and active, that it still matters today for us here in 2019. Um, so, Lord, I pray that as we read your words, that we take it to heart, not just hear it, not just think about it, but actually respond uh, and live it out. Lord, as I preach, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts can be glorified to you. We pray all these things because of Jesus' name. Amen. 
Alright, so let's read what it means. Mark 8, start verse 34. And calling the crowds again with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What is it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father through the Holy Angels. So give you a little context. Get it caught back up. Um, Jesus had was on a trip, was walking with the disciples, and he asked the disciples, Who do the people say that I am? What, what do people say about me? And they give him a variety of answers about who people think Jesus is. And then Jesus says, Well, who do you say that I am? You've been with me for a while. Who do you guys think that I am? Peter blurts out, You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the chosen one. And from that, Jesus begins to teach them very clearly, very boldly, what it means to be the Messiah. He begins to show them, yes, you're right, I'm the Messiah, but what you believe about the Christ, what you believe about the Messiah, is not correct. You're missing some key points. It's kind of faulty. You see, the Messiah was believed that he would come and be this king who's going to come and change everything. He was going to overthrow Rome. He was going to establish a new government. He was going to be a political and social avenger. He was going to come with great power and authority. Jesus teaches them that, no, actually, it's not the plan. That's not how this is going to work. I am coming to suffer. I am coming as the suffering servant, and I must suffer and die. I'm coming for something bigger than just Rome. I come to free you from the oppression of sin in your lives. And in teaching that, and being very clear with, I'm going to suffer and die, Peter decides to pull Jesus aside and tell him, that's wrong, Jesus. And he rebukes Jesus, and Jesus, you're saying the wrong things. Jesus and Peter then have a bit of a discussion in front of the disciples, and Jesus rebukes Peter. And after that rebuke is where we find ourselves here. So Jesus is having this intimate conversation with the twelve, um, and then we see in verse 34 that he calls the crowd over to him. Because calling the crowd to him with his disciples, then he begins to teach. The things that Jesus says here in this passage that we're looking at this morning, what it means to truly be a follower of Jesus, these are not just for the disciples. This is not just for the special ones. This is not just for the pastors, for the elders, for the community leaders. This is for anyone. Anyone who wants to follow Jesus, this is what it looks like. This is what it means. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, this is what it's going to mean for you. Jesus himself is showing us this is how this actually plays out. He says, come after me. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Those are the commands. Those are the terms. That's the instruction. He kind of puts uh, brackets around it when he says, anyone who will come after me, and then very end he says, follow me. Basically, that word is the exact the same word. So really what Jesus is saying here is that if you want to follow me, Deny yourself, take up your cross, and in doing so, you will follow me. He's emphasizing that these two points in the middle, deny yourself and take up your cross, that is how you're going to follow me. That is how you are going to be one of my followers. Deny yourself. Now, deny yourself, deny yourself, as it says, is not the same as self-denial. Okay, self-denial is when you choose to withhold something for you from yourself for a, you know, for a different good. Right? Not to eat that next donut 
because you're on a diet, right? Or you can be involved with your faith. Be involved, as Monica said, we're coming up on the season uh, of Lent. Lent begins on Wednesday, or at Wednesday service, we invite you away from 7 o'clock on the next Wednesday service here. And during the season of Lent, it's been uh, it's typical to uh, look into fasting, either fasting from food, or fasting from technology, fasting from something. And in fasting, you are putting down this thing, you are letting go of this thing to make room, to give more room for God. So it's, I'm going to skip breakfast. And in the morning, when you're craving breakfast, when you have those hunger pains, it's, that's this reminder, this physical reminder of, I need to spend a little more time in prayer with God. I need to spend a little more time with Him. Right? And so self-denial, denial, self-denial is when you put something down, you deny yourself something for a greater good. But what Jesus is talking about here, denying yourself doesn't mean you become a Christian uh, and you're no longer you. It doesn't mean that you now are a person, you're a whole different person. You are an individual. You have value and importance to God. He made you, he knows you, he loves you. You becoming a Christian doesn't make you just a random Christian serial number. To deny yourself means that you are saying no to the selfish, no to the self-serving, no to the self-exalting thing that lives with you. The Bible would call that the flesh. The part of you that wants to rebel, the part of you that wants your way and not God's way. To deny yourself is to say no to myself and yes to God. To say no to making myself the most important thing in the world and yes to God is leading in his direction in my life. The reality is we, over any given day, dozens and dozens of times in any given day, make decisions in which we are the most important thing in our world. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go here. I'm going to spend my money this way. I'm going to spend my time this way. I'm going to give my affection to these people and not these people. I'm going to give my respect to that person but not this person. I have decided what is best for me because I am the most important thing going in the world. We might not actually intentionally think that every time we make a decision, but that's what we're doing. We live in a self-indulgent culture. In a culture that says, you get yours. You be happy. You make yourself content regardless of how it affects other people, regardless of what it does. You take care of you. You be happy. You be your best self. It's all about you. You find the world, you find the world view that works best for you. And if other people question it, if other people don't like the way that you believe, well then they're intolerant. They don't love you. You figure out what's best for you. Jesus says that might be true of the world. But if you want to follow me, if you want to be one of my followers, you have to deny yourself. You have to deny that part of you. You've got to be willing to let go of you being the most important thing in your life to say, I am not the God of my life. I am not the king or queen of my life, but rather I have declared that Jesus is the king of my life. He is the Lord of my life. And then you've got to actually live as though you believe that. Live so that you're not your will be done, but God's will be done. To deny yourself is to say that you are willing to shift the center of gravity of your life from a concern from yourself, first and foremost, to a reckless abandon for the will of God. So what does that look like for us? Practically speaking, it looks like things like Monday through Saturday. What does 
decisions are you making with the with the activities you are involved in, with the way you're spending your time Monday through Saturday that keep you from getting to church on Sunday? How is your time organized on a daily basis so that reading God's word is a priority? Prayer is a priority. Are your finances set up in such a way that gives God, gives to God first and foremost, trusts in his providence rather than if I happen to have a few bucks in my pocket at the time somebody's asking for money, maybe I'll give it to them. Are you willing to share your story, share your faith with friends and family in your life who need to hear the gospel? Now these are just examples, they are not and all be all, and this is not a checklist system of do's and don'ts. What Jesus is calling us to here, this idea of denying ourselves, it is a change of our very mindset. To be a follower of Jesus is not a part-time extracurricular activity. It's not something we do a couple of hours a week. There are no timeouts. There's no halfway membership. It's not, I'm going to be a Christian when it's convenient. It is a complete letting go of self and instead accepting Christ's need, Christ's direction fully and completely. It changes everything. It's the way we view and engage the world. It's not just how am I going to spend my time on Sunday morning or during the week, whether or not I'm going to go to the your community. It is a mindset of every decision I make, every choice I make, every interaction I have. Am I making myself the most important thing in this moment, or am I bringing glory to Christ? Am I making my following God's glory? And so we ask ourselves in the decisions that you make. Are your preferences, your comfort, your the priority, or is it to do the will of God even to your own discomfort and detriment? And that's what Jesus is doing. He's emphasizing, he says, deny yourself, deny yourself so much that you'll be willing to take up your cross and follow. Follow me. On this side of history in 2019, the cross is something that you put up on a wall, it's something you get to get a tattoo of, it's jewelry, it's art, it's a symbol, it's been sterilized and cleaned up and made presentable. Even the phrase, take up your cross, or I have my burden to bear, I have my cross to bear. We take in this idea and we turn it into, I have this annoying thing in my life that I have to deal with day to day. That's just my personal cross to bear. But when Jesus says this to this crowd, when he says, follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, this is not the inner imagery that they would think of. This is not a Jewish kind of statement. This is a very Roman statement. If this statement held any symbolism at all, it was of the oppression of Rome. The Jews didn't even have a law that said they could crucify someone. It was too horrible. When Jesus was crucified, that's why they had to go to Rome, because they wanted him dead, because Romans had laws that said you can crucify someone. Jewish people wouldn't even crucify their own people. The word excruciating comes from crucifixion. It was so bad, they had to make up a new word to describe the pain and torment of crucifixion. It was disgusting and painful. It was the worst things they came up, they could come up with. You were stripped naked, nailed to a cross, and hung up for the world to see and watch you die and suffocate. So you died on the cross, you would suffocate. 
And if you were taking too long to suffocate, you would come and break your legs to make a go for you, so you couldn't push yourself up and get breath. It was shameful. It was humiliating. It was reserved for the lowest of low. You had to be a special kind of scumbag to be crucified. This phrase, take up your cross, for the criminal who was sentenced to this punishment, they would carry their cross, either the cross beam, or sometimes the entire thing. And it would parade you throughout town. It would parade you to your place of fiction. It would make them march along as the people watched and mocked and judged you as you carried your very own execution device. To take up your cross, Jesus is saying, March death row. Take up your electric chair. Take up your lethal injection. Be willing to go on this one way trip. Because if you're carrying your cross, the journey doesn't end anywhere but death. It's a one-way ticket marked by shame and pain and rejection. There is no return. All that awaits you as you carry your cross is death. No criminal was ever required to carry a cross as just a burden. It wasn't just do it for a little while and then now you've learned your lesson. It wasn't a limited time thing. It wasn't, okay, now you can lay it down and go home. Every person who ever carried a cross did so for a single purpose, to die. Jesus says to the crowd, you want to follow me? You want to come after me? Then say no to yourself. Be willing to deny yourself. Be willing to deny the self-indulgent lifestyle that the culture of this world claims. Deny yourself even to the point of actual physical death. Of shame and humiliation and pain, you learn to pick up your cross and follow. Deny yourself, take up your cross. These are not one time events. It's not you do it one time, you deny yourself once, take up your cross once, and now you're done. It's moment by moment, it is regularly, daily. Deny the part of you that wants to make you your own God. Take up your cross, take up your obedience to God's will, accepting the consequences without reservation, even if that means going to death. For some, it does. I mean, the reality is that the majority of us, the majority of Christians in America, you probably won't be faced with martyrdom. But seeing as your life isn't over yet, don't disregard the possibility. And in reality, you have brothers and sisters around the world, in China, in Korea, and parts of Europe, who read these same verses, who read verse 34, and for that it means really, truly, literally, you're going to die for the gospel. It still happens in our world today. This is not an antiquated idea, this is not Jesus just being, uh, this is not a metaphor for Jesus, this is something that still happens today, it's happened throughout history, people being willing to die for their faith. Call of the Christian is to deny yourself and take up your cross, and in doing so, follow Jesus. He is not looking for a bunch of people to marvel at him from afar. He's not looking for a bunch of people who study the Bible from afar to keep a nice, safe, sterile distance. To be a Christian is not just to grow in knowledge about what the Bible says, but it is to walk and live that out, to follow him. As Jesus leads the way with the cross on his back, we can likewise, with crosses on our shoulders, following him. 
So Jesus gives us one follow me. This is what you've got to do. Deny yourself, take up your cross. And then he gives some conditions, he gives some supporting statements as to why this is why he's called us to do this. We see in the next couple of verses, the next four verses, every one of them starts with the word for or because. So we see in verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. These are the conditions that go with the original term. These are the pillars on which this idea of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is built on. And so he presides, he presents us with a bit of a paradox. Whoever would save his life will lose it. This paradox right here is why to follow Jesus we must deny ourselves and bear our cross. He calls us to live the life, not to punish us, not to make things harder, but rather to help us and protect us from ourselves. Because our default wiring is selfish self-acknowledgement. If we embrace that, if we indulge that, we ultimately lose. To embrace our self-idolatry is to do the opposite of what's being covered in verse 34. It's avoiding the denying of yourself. Avoiding taking up your cross, and in doing so, save that part of you, keep that part of you whole. Save that part of you that will indulge yourself as the most important thing. You make all the decisions that are best for you. Who cares what scripture says? Who cares what your family and friends say? Who cares what the church says? Who cares what God himself says? Because you know best. So you save that part of yourself. That says, I'm in control. I'm the king and queen of my life. And whoever will do that, Jesus says, will lose. Because while you are saving your life here and now, you are actually going to lose in eternity. Because one day you will stand before God to answer to those things, and you will lose the presence of God. You will lose the love of God, you will lose the grace of God, you will spend eternity in hell separated from God. To save your life here, to live as though you are the most important thing going here, this self-indulgent life here is to lose in the long run. And on the flip side, Jesus says, whoever would lose their life here, whoever would kill off that part of themselves here, will save them. Whoever is willing to let go of yourself, whoever is willing to say, I don't know best, I'm not in charge, but Christ is. Whoever is willing to do those things that Jesus stated in verse 34, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, you might lose in this life by the world's standards, but you will ultimately save your life. But Jesus is very clear. It's not just lose your life with no purpose. Jesus says if you will lose your life, you will deny yourself for my sake and for the gospels of the Savior. Jesus is making a connection here between himself and the Word of God, because Jesus himself is the Word of God. To this point, Jesus has not been as blunt and clear with the crowd at large about his identity and the reality of the situation. This is the first time that he's addressing a mass crowd and really putting himself in line with who he is, showing a little bit of that he is the Messiah, he is the Christ. He's making a connection between himself and the Word of God. He called them in the past to repent. He told them that the kingdom is at hand. People have come to him with faith power and authority, but here Jesus is directly stating, lose your life for me, put your faith in me. Jesus and the word of God are linked, you can't reject one and keep the other. 
Don't you want to try? Because in today's culture, that usually looks like, I love Jesus, but I hate church. I love Jesus, but it's all those Christians I can't deal with. I love Jesus, but the church is too messed up. It's too broken. It's too ugly. So I'm going to go do my own thing and be a Christian on my own in my own terms. Is the church perfect? No. Why? Because it's a hospital full of sick people. It's a group of people who freely admit that they can't do this thing on their own and are weak and clinging to Jesus. So yes, church is messy and complicated, but we are also the bride of Christ. And one day he comes back for his bride, and he loves his bride unconditionally. This idea that you can be a follower of Jesus, but not be in community, not be about the church, not be about his people, it doesn't work. You also can't be a follower of Jesus and say, man, I really love Jesus, and I love that Jesus hung out with the sinners. He was all about that love and grace and forgiveness. But then on the flip side, I try to ignore the justice and the righteousness and the hell aspects of what Scripture has to say. You can't separate Jesus from the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. He himself does not reject or ignore the Old Testament. He does not reject or ignore the idea of hell. All of Scripture points back to Jesus. All of Scripture comes back and points to him. In Luke's Gospel, later on after the resurrection, he sits down with the disciples and he, starting with Moses, walks them through the Old Testament about how all of the Old Testament points back to himself. It's all about Jesus. We can't separate him from the Word of God. Now, when Mark is writing his Gospel, it's about 20 to 30 years after Jesus was born, or after Jesus was dead and was resurrected. And so they know all too well, the first readers of Mark's Gospel know all too well what it means to lose your life for Christ and for the Gospel. Emperor Nero was in charge, he's mounting up Christians and killing them, he's feeding them to hungry animals, he's crucifying them and lighting their bodies on fire to illuminate his garden parties. So when Jesus talks about suffering, when he talks about losing your life and gaining in eternity, these are not just faraway concepts for those who were originally reading this. This is real, this is true, this is what was, they were living out at the time. To deny Jesus would always cost you eternity. You will have an eternal consequence. Go to verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Consequences and value of eternal life is emphasized here. Jesus talking about profits and losses. What is it profit meant to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What Jesus is saying is okay, let's say you don't deny yourself here. Let's say you just keep on self indulgence. Let's say you are the most important thing going. You make all the rules, you make all the decisions, you make all the laws. Let's say you win. Let's say by the world standards you win. If you have all of whatever it looks like for you to win money, power, fame, success, let's say you win, and in doing so, you have cost yourself eternity. So what's the point? That's why Jesus tells us to deny and take up our cross, because if you don't, you might win here on earth, and in doing so, means. He doesn't call us to live this lifestyle to make things harder, to hurt, to torment us, but rather to free us and provide us, provide for us what we can do. Because here's the reality that gets overlooked. You are going to live forever. You will exist 
for all in eternity. Regardless of your faith in Jesus, will exist forever. What's on the table is the where and the how you're going to spend eternity. It's the where and how you're going to spend from the time you die going forward. You are either going to experience eternity with God in heaven or without God in heaven. This life that we get here, for however long we get it, let's say you get to live a nice long 90 years, 100 years. It might seem like a long time for us, but it is a sliver of a glimpse of a smidge of time. It is a grain of sand on the beach. It is a blade of grass in the field. It is a pebble in the Grand Canyon. It is so small in comparison to eternity. It is an amazing grace. That last verse, we've been here, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. Whether it be 10,000 years, 100,000 years, 100 billion years, regardless of how many go by, we will be no closer to the end than when we first began. That's eternity. That's what's before you. And so you can win here. You can get to 90 and 100 years, and you can have all the power, all of the glory, all of the happiness, all of the stuff of this life. Whatever it is that you have put your value in and said, this is the most important thing. But that day will come where you go before Jesus. You will meet your maker. You will meet the creator of all existence. And your soul will be forfeited. Your eternity with him will be forfeited for an eternity without him in hell. Separated from the love, grace, holiness, and goodness of God. Jesus asked this question. So what if you keep your life here? If you win, what does it matter? Ultimately, you lose. Because as it says in verse 37, you can't buy your way out. You can't get to the end of the line and say, Jesus, look, I bought, I bought a bunch of stuff with me. Maybe I didn't do it right all the time on earth, but I got a bunch of stuff here, so let me in. Here's the good stuff. Here's my best stuff. Let me into heaven anyway. We'll spend eternity with you anyway. Who are you and what makes you think that you can bargain with God? What makes you think you have anything here that can impress him? Romans 11 tells us that for him and through him and to him are all things. It all belongs to Jesus anyway. He made it all. He sustains it all. It's all his anyway. So you're trying to buy your way to heaven with his own stuff. The only way to truly win, to truly save your life, is to lose it here and now, to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow, even to death, because if you don't, you may win in this life by culture standards, and you will ultimately lose for eternity. That's why Christ calls us to deny ourselves, because you might accidentally win here and then lose forever. He finishes up and tries to emphasize this one more time in verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, sounds like it was written today, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the Holy Angels. Basically, a restatement of verse 35. Jesus wants us to hear and understand, so he repeats himself a bunch of times, restating it in different words. If you're ashamed of Christ in the here and now, because you are so caught up with the approval of this world rather than Christ, one day you will meet contempt from the Lord. Your decisions here and now matter. 
Life here and now matters. Your future, your eternity, it matters now. That's really what this life is. These 80, 90, 100 years, how much you get here, it's getting ready for eternity. This small sliver of time is ready and has implications for forever. We live in a world where we are so concerned with retirement. Start saving as soon as you get a first job. Start planning for your retirement. Start planning for those 10, 15, 20 years of retirement. Do we prep and plan for eternity? Because eternity begins now. It's a continuation. It's not a brand new game that you start playing once you die. What you do here and now matters. What you do, what you decide about who Jesus is, matters. And how you live in response to Jesus matters. Unless you see Jesus in this generation, the Son of Man who comes in glory will not see you in the future. These are the terms and conditions of being a Christian. God is not going to try and trick you or pull the wool over your eyes. There is no bait and switch. The Bible does not say, become a Christian, everything will be fine, happy, sunshine, and rainbows. Nothing has to change. You don't have to change anything about you. Just say that you're a Christian, everything will be fine, and then surprise, death. That's not the Bible. There are no updates or changes or revisions made. It's the same then as now. Up front, no tricks. If you want to follow Jesus, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow. Lose your life here and now in order to save it because you can't buy it off later. Even if you try and win now, you're going to try and save yourself here and now and ultimately lose. This is what's being offered. And so for some of you here today, where you need to evaluate and say, am I actually living this way? See, I claim to be a Christian, but am I actually doing it? Is that actually me? And what's great is if you say, and you evaluate and say, no, I'm not doing this way. I, I'm still indulging myself in order to be a Christian. What's great is we have a God who's patient and full of grace and forgiving and just. So if that's not you, if you claim to be a Christian, if you are looking at this and saying, I don't agree with that, that's not what I signed up for, that's not how I can live. Today is the day where changes can be made. Today is that day where things can become new. Every day has new grace. Every day has new mercies to be had. And this does not mean, okay, so from now on I'm just going to try a lot harder. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what the gospel is. He's not telling you just try a little bit harder. Do better. Because there's not trying harder enough. There's not do better enough to run or win or impress God. Denying yourself, denying the self that is in you, stuff that's built into you, this indulgent lifestyle that's built into who we are, it's in our DNA. You're not going to fight that on your own. You can't try harder enough against that. Taking up your cross. To do that on your own, that's too big, that's too heavy. It's only with and through Jesus that you can do this. It's why he says, follow me, come after me, I will be with you, I will carry the load for you. He shows us how, he teaches us, he empowers us so that every day as we wake up, every decision that we are faced with, we can go to him for the strength to deny ourselves and instead pursue God. We do this. We deny ourselves. We take up our cross. We follow so that we might find our lives saved. And not only saved, but flourishing. 
that we might receive eternal life in the presence of God. We might be blessing upon blessing, and we cannot even fathom the law of eternity in heaven. There are no tricks, there are no hidden loopholes. Jesus is clear and plain for what is expected of his followers. The terms and conditions are presented before you, and I pray that you will accept them. Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for teachings like this from Jesus that are clear, that are challenging, that are sometimes overwhelming. But God, we know that you wouldn't call us to do something and that leave us not on our own. You will empower us, you will inspire us, you will give us what we need to be able to deny ourselves, to be able to follow you, to be able to take up our cross. So God, we ask for that. We ask for the boldness, we ask for the ability to evaluate our lives and say, am I actually doing this? Am I actually living this way? Lord, help us as we think through and we look at the way we spend our time, our money, our just who we are, the way we live this life, help us to do so in a way that is clear, help us to look at our lives and be honest with ourselves. And then go to you and say, God, I need you to help me. I need you to guide me. I need you to appoint me in how to do this because I can't do it on my own. Lord, we pray that God, that we might to that, that part of us, the flesh, the, the selfish, the self-indulgent, we might be able to let go of that part of us. We pursue you, focus on you, run our race, live our life toward you. And God, when we fail, when we fall, it's the reminder that you are there to pick us up, you are there to catch us, you are there to, it's still there for us to run to. Lord, in terms of the conditions of being a follower of Jesus, seeing heaven, seeing burdensome, but we know through the power of the Holy Spirit, they are life giving, they are freeing, and they are setting us up and getting us ready for an eternity with you, an eternity in your presence, an eternity where we get to not worry, not care, not need, not want for anything, because you will provide, you will take care of. An eternity with no pain, no death, no tears, none of that. Lord, help us to see this life and however long you have given each one of us. Help us to see this life as preparation for the kingdom. To not wait, to not put off pursuing you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for the cross for the life that it provides and for the empty tomb and for the power of the resurrection. We pray all of these things because of Jesus' name. Amen.